0: A shadow What <Sings> a
1: الحمد لله رب العالمين وسبحان الله العلي العظيم نشهد ان لا اله الا الله وان محمدا عبد و ان محمدا رسول الله هو الله الذي لا اله الا هو الحي القيوم نؤمن به ونستعينه ونستجيره ونستهديه ونصلي ونسلم ونبارك على النبي الأمين خاتم الرسل أجمعين المرسل رحمة للعالمين وعلى آله وأصحابه ومن اتبه بإحسان إلى يوم الدين ونقول يا نور السماوات والأرض يا قيم السماوات والأرض اللهم اجعل لنا نورا واجعل في قلوبنا نورا واجعل في ألسننا نورا واللهم أعظم لنا نورا واجعل في أمتنا نورا واللهم اجعل في كلامنا نورا تنير به Asmi'at al ونزيد النبي محمد صلاة وتسليم. yesterday Thursday it was the occasion of the birth of the Prophet Muhammad the memory of the birth of the Prophet cannot pass without us pausing to fully reflect upon that, the legacy of that great man, the legacy of the prophet who gave us a continuing and perpetual and individual revelation of the Quran. So many of us come to this world we live and die without the opportunity, without granting ourselves the opportunity and the favor of studying the meaning of the presence of that man in our temporal life in life on earth, the Prophet Muhammad did did not just transmit the revelation of the Quran, but embodied the message of the Quran itself in his life. He was living proof. He was living proof before becoming a prophet, before he reached his midlife where the revelation comes to him for the first time. In the first 40 or so years of his life, he was living proof that so much goodness, so much beauty is known innately and is a matter of natural instinct. As a man, before he was selected to the prophecy or before rather he was became aware of his status as a prophet, as a common man in Mecca. He embodied the common natural values of what a decent human being is. He was known as an impeccably impeccably truthful human being, a being who detested lying and a human being who understood that life cannot simply mean mere existence and physical consumption as most of us learn that from the very beginning he was taken with long periods of reflection, solitude, isolation, practicing what was innately and intuitively known to him as a form of self-cleansing and as a way of connecting with the natural forces that he could sense in existence. He didn't need revelation to tell him that there is a God. In fact, long before the Quran, Quranic revelation comes and says, comes and tell him, do human beings think that they have been created in vain? He knew long before that revelation that without an owner to this creation, without a maker, without a khaliq, without a god, in fact, life becomes a form of vanity it becomes purposeless and that a purposeful life must recognize the role of the maker and that human beings, if they listen to their instincts, they know that they exist as a part of a larger tapestry of realities where their meaning makes sense only in the context of the meaning of everything else, where their individual meaning makes sense, but only if they recognize meaning in everything else. By definition, you cannot presume to have meaning. You cannot presume to have meaning unless you recognize that same value in everyone else and in everything else. Sometimes it is hard for us to understand, but it is absolutely true that I cannot be meaningful unless a tree growing in the wilderness has meaning. I cannot be meaningful unless every creature that dwells on the face of this earth also has meaning. It is an integrated whole. It is a remarkable system A system that makes absolutely no sense without a divine maker, an engineer, an overseer, a sustainer. But once you recognize the sustainer, the maker, the owner, then immediately you recognize that only by communing with the source of all goodness, the source of all truth, the source of all light, the source of all genuine feeling, and the source of all wholesome ideas, and the source of natural goodness, only by communing with that source and receiving your sustenance and support can you fully recognize the meaning of existence including your existence, which is part and parcel of the existence of everything else. It is remarkable, but absolutely necessary, that the Prophet Muhammad, long before he became Allah's Prophet, was a man that embodied the ethics of humanity. He did not lie, he did not steal, he did not cheat. He exhibited no cruelty. He was a man known for his kindness, for his compassion, for his mercy. And he was a man that offended no one and transgressed upon no one. Innately, intuitively, before he becomes a prophet. He is a valued member of society he is a valued member of society of his society without ever becoming a competitive player within the society he is born into an honorable family without ever demanding the privileges of that status He is born to naturally take his seat in a position of leadership in Quraysh, but he declines to do so. Because power, for the sake of power, makes no sense to him. There's no point. We don't have a single incident of a dispute between him before he's a prophet, between him and his neighbors, his friends, his family, he is what we would recognize as a peaceful man who seems to have no bones with anyone. And he is a consistent demonstrator of his ethics through practice. He doesn't participate in anything that he finds immoral or unethical. We know that Quraysh society was contaminated with numerous unethical practices And the prophet's response before he is a prophet is to come a living embodiment of the philosophy of life that he believed in, and that is not to partake, to withdraw from everything that he finds morally objectionable. Once Muhammad receives the revelation and is now charged in addition with his role as a moral human being, now is charged with a very difficult role. The role that we often see in throughout the Quranic prophets where, for the most part, they're the same as the biblical prophets. These are people who are now charged with leading nations and winning the hearts of thousands, if not millions, and setting an example for generations to come. But in addition to that very difficult task that most biblical slash Quranic prophets are charged with, a lot of people forget that the prophet Isa, Jesus, was sent as a prophet to the Israelites in order to reform many of the excesses and corruptions that have crept into the beliefs and practices of the Israelites. Jesus was not like Abraham and in fact, was not even like Moses, because Moses himself was not, although a lot of people a lot of people don't get described, Moses himself was not an Israelite. He sent he was sent with a mission to the Israelites, but his prophecy far extended that, and he himself ethnically, or his lineage was not as an israeli prophet and jesus of course his prophecy was very short lived and he died very young so he is not the typical prototype Of biblical or Quranic prophets like Abraham or like Moses or like people like Joseph, Yusuf, or even lesser known figures like Saleh, who's Quranic but not biblical, obviously, and so on. The Prophet Muhammad, like those Prophets given a very heavy role is going to lead a nation, not simply live as an individual moral example within a specific historical context, but he's going to lead a nation. And in order to lead a nation, you have to know, you have to, have the art of changing the hearts and minds and souls of human beings and inspiring human beings from being mundane, usual creatures, to inspire them to become something great. Because that greatness Is needed to meet the challenge of the historical moment in which they existed. Imagine if the Prophet, the Prophet Muhammad, was unable to inspire greatness in his followers. What would have happened? a prophet that comes out of the heart of Arabia at a time when Arabia has not had a major civilization in centuries. In fact, Yemen is a center of civilizations. Iraq is a center of civilizations. Persia is a center of civilizations. Egypt is a center of civilizations. Rome, Byzantia, centers of civilizations. But there is this man in the heart of the desert where the last civilization existed no less than a thousand years before. in the persona of prophets like Saleh, for instance. If this man lived and died incapable of discharging his teaching mission, his inspirational mission, then he would live and die and be quickly forgotten afterwards. In order to achieve what the Prophet ﷺ, did, you have to be able to inspire greatness in human beings. You have to be able to do that remarkable intangible thing where you take ordinary people with all their psychological hang-ups, emotional complexes, with all the strangeness and oddness of their upbringings as individuals, with all the vanity and egoism that plagues all all human beings. And you take these people who intuitively didn't necessarily go up in the mountains and isolate themselves pondering the meaning of existence for days on end. Human beings who existed consume, and to enjoy, and to have fun, to get married, to have children, to accumulate wealth, and then to die. You have to take these people and transform them into people who are fully aware of their covenant with God, and fully aware that they cannot leave this earth without having left a great imprint on this earth. You've inspired these people to become the bearers of a mission to humanity. And you needed to inspire these people to become the bearers of a mission to humanity during your lifetime as a prophet. But the power of your energy, the power of your energy had to resonate within them long after you're gone. And not only that, but they had to resonate within them so that it carries over to their children and the children of their children and to generations onwards. This is what true greatness is. You are not simply a teacher who had a few disciples and then we, you die and we know far more about your disciples than we know about you. And in fact, the entire message after your death is entirely contingent on your disciples. No, in the case of Muhammad Ali What is truly remarkable is that there are not 12 disciples. There are not 20 disciples. There are hundreds, hundreds of people who were inspired, animated, activated to change the face of this earth because of their encounter with this man. And not just to change the face of this earth, but to change life for their children and the children of their children. Think about it. How many people How many people that came to humanity can claim this level of honor? How many people have come born literally in the middle of the wilderness and were able to transform those around them, people of all ethnicities, people of all races, people of all different social status and class, and people of all different languages, to transform these people so that they literally changed the face of the earth. I say this on the occasion of the birthday of the Prophet, because part of the reality of our tradition, whether we like it or not, is that like all great men in history, you had those who followed Muhammad alayhis because they truly believed in Muhammad's message. And you have those who followed Muhammad because it was the fashionable thing to do when everyone else they knew who was worth anything in society was following Muhammad. Both of these groups or sets of people left us reports about who Muhammad was. We have reports that talk about a great man who did great things, whose life after becoming, becoming a prophet is remarkably consistent with his life before becoming a prophet. But we also have reports that sit awkwardly with the notion of a great man who changes the faces of history, the course of history. We also have reports that are inconsistent with the legacy of the man before becoming a prophet and after becoming a prophet. In other words, reports that create tension between the idea of a man who knew innate goodness and natural virtue. These reports, the second type of reports, what I often call the axiom reports, The Axiom reports were transmitted by people who might have been nominally Muslim, officially Muslim, but understood next to nothing about the actual message of the Prophet And it is up to us, modern Muslims, or Muslims of every day and age, to study the legacy of a great man with rigor and comprehensiveness to be able to decipher the truthful reports from the false and fantastical and fictitious reports. Remember The yardstick is, this is a man who lived 40 years, anchored in moral virtue. And according to the true converts, Islam continued to be anchored in moral virtue. And not only that, had the types of qualities to transform generations of people. And in the midst of that, you get a strange report transmitted by strange individuals who have a suspect history that tells us something about the Prophet that doesn't sit well with his ethical and moral legacy. The Prophet. Can't be with us to tell us, yes, I said this, no, I didn't say this. But at a minimum, at a minimum, the Prophet left in us a legacy, a trust. And the trust is that there are some of us who study his legacy so comprehensively, so intimately, so closely, that when someone comes and tells them, why was this man able to change the face of the earth and the course of history, they would be able to explain it to them and know the Prophet ﷺ so intimately that they would be able to explain what is truly authentic to his character, to what seems to be an outlier, an oddity, a transmission that is inconsistent with his moral and ethical legacy. So once again, we're visited with the occasion of his birth. And every time the birth of the Prophet comes, you would be remiss if you didn't think. Have we lived up to the trust that the prophet left in us or left with us? This is a man that came at a time when the prophets of Judaism were well known The Apostles of Christianity were well known. The Christian Church was dominant and arrogant and supreme. The clergymen of Persia were dominant, wealthy, conceited, oppressive, and supreme. This is a prophet that represented the moral virtues of the dispossessed and the powerless. He didn't come to live like people lived in the palaces of Byzantia or to live like the way people lived in the palaces of Persia. He didn't come to kiss up to rich and powerful people, he came to empower the disempowered and to humble the powerful. If you study the way he lived, maybe you would start understanding why he transformed the face of humanity. Because his followers saw that he is the best living example of what he preached and what he taught. When he spoke about the evils of materialism, he was the living embodiment of someone who rejected materialism with all its temptations. When he spoke about the importance of giving up your wealth and living for another life where you put all your investments in the life that will come, not this one. He was the living embodiment of this. I say all of this because we have to be very honest, and as usual, brutally so. In the midst of this memory of the Prophet's birthday, comes at a time when I'm sure all of us have heard of the controversy going on in France and the rest of the Muslim world. Years ago, a French magazine, Charles Ebdo or whatever it's called, publishes a group of cartoons that don't criticize the Prophet. They're pornographic cartoons that turn the Prophet into a pornographic stud. And they are obscene cartoons. They are cartoons that are pornographically explicit, that represent the prophet in a pornographically explicit way doing pornographically explicit things. And these cartoons are published in France, Representing, representing narratives that are favorite narratives of the Islamophobes. If you read what Islamophobes write about the Prophet, they have favorite themes about the prophet's sexuality and representing the prophet in a very racist way, in the way that typically Arabs are represented and have been represented in Orientalism and colonial literature as a dirty Arab who rapes women, who robs people, who fills his stomach, and who fulfills all carnal desires without moral refrain or ethics. And these cartoons are a pornographic representation of what you find in Islamophobic texts. Recently, a young... Muslim woman in France goes home, and this young Muslim woman, her parents notice that she comes back from school crying. Why are you crying? At school today, the teacher showed pornographic images or pornographic drawings of the Prophet Muhammad and the kids at school, the non-Muslim kids, are bullying me, telling me you are the follower of a pedophile and a rapist. She's crying because her school or her teacher taught material in school that led directly to her bullying. Her parents go to the school and complain, and the school does nothing. Other Muslim parents in the school become outraged. Number one, this is not college, this is a high school. And th- in this high school, you are not doing a course on comparative religions, you are not doing a course on Jesus in irreligious literature, Moses, Jesus, and Muhammad in irreligious literature, you are offering the class a deprecating pornographic view of one prophet for one religion, Muhammad and Islam. And the parents complain is the bullying their Muslim kids are suffering in a public school. A public school. We are paying taxes so you can teach obscene material about our Prophet that leads directly to the bullying of Muslim students. And when we complain, you tell us, sorry, there's nothing we can do. The school recommends that the parents talk to the teacher directly. The Muslim's parents talk to the teacher directly and the teacher, when they talk to him, it becomes very clear that the teacher is not a defender of the First Amendment or freedom of speech. He's an Islamophobe. The teacher tells him, I'm sorry, but that's the prophet you follow. I can't do anything about it. Well, you Muslims, if you don't like it, I'm going to excuse your kids from the class where I show these cartoons, but it's leading to the bullying of our children and the creation of a hostile environment. That's not my problem. That's your problem because you follow this prophet. A 16-year-old kid from Chechnya, who suffered a considerable amount of stress and trauma because of the persecution he suffered in Chechnya as a Muslim, decides to take matters in his own hands and kills the teacher. And then the police kills the 16-year-old. point there's a lot that can be said at this point should a public school not be responsive to the complaints of a minority already marginalized minority in France about bullying and being further marginalized and further excluded? Should the school have taken more vigilant steps in attempting to be responsive to a sensitive situation? Should there be standards for Islamophobic teachers when the deal was concerned parents? Did the school fail when they noticed that that 16-year-old Chechnian kid suffered from PTSD and was troubled and had many disciplinary problems? which again the school failed to respond to. But all of that is put on the wayside because the prime minister of a notoriously racist government with a notoriously horrible colonial record No one talks about the millions of Muslims that France killed in North Africa, in Mali, in West Africa. No one talks about France's direct responsibility for genocides committed against Muslims, a responsibility that France has never acknowledged and never apologized for. No one talks about the fact that to our very day there is a museum in France of the skulls of Africans and Muslims that France executed and the skulls are in a museum and that they've never returned. No one talks about the segregationist and remarkable racist policies of France. The only place that I ever visited in Europe where I felt the oppressive sting of racism was France. I will never forget. I stayed in a pension, in a motel. The owner of the motel had instructions that Arab guests of the motel, including myself, cannot sit in the front lobby. If you are non-Arab, non-Muslim, you could sit in the front lobby, Arab or Turkish, if you're Muslim. If you're non-Muslim, you could sit in the front lobby. But if you're Muslim, you're not allowed to sit in the front lobby because he didn't want his motel to be known as a motel that accommodates Muslims. I left that motel and went to another, only to find that second motel no less racist. France is the only place in Europe where I tried to rent an apartment only to discover that it is a very big deal to find A landlord willing to rent an apartment to a Muslim. I would be told right in my face, you're a Muslim, we're not gonna rent to you. Not only that, but finally, when I rented an apartment, I was told by the landlord that there is a rule here: Muslim tenants cannot have guests. Well, how about the white tenants, the Jewish tenants? No, they can have guests. You can't have guests. France is the only place where I had to walk 24-7 with my passport because I could be stopped at any time by the police simply because I look Arab or look Muslim. Muslims in France live in ghettoized sections of Paris that are economically disadvantaged and that suffer from regular transgressions by the police force, including the notorious vans of Paris police where you can be taken off the street, insulted, humiliated, and slapped around by the police in one of their vans and released without any explanation. No, no one is interested in talking about that. No one is interested in talking about the fact that France, which banned the hijab in all public establishments, has no problem with people wearing religious insignia like crosses, and no problem with wearing other Catholic insignia, including covering your hair. No one is, interested in talking about the fact that Islamic schools have a very hard time getting licensed already, and so a lot of them have to work under the radar, in other words, without proper licensing, while Catholic and Jewish schools, private schools, don't encounter the same problem. You already have a thoroughly racist society with a horrible colonial legacy. Suddenly, what became the end, beginning, all, and end all is that a Muslim 16 year old kid killed a school teacher because of freedom of speech. It was freedom of obscenity, freedom of pornography, because if you've seen the images, they're pornographic images. But even worse, the French government didn't just condemn the criminal act of killing this teacher, but turned what is clearly a criminal incident instead of investigating the responsibility and accountability of the school and everyone involved, including possibly the parents of the Akshashnian kid, but instead of dealing with it in a professional manner as what went so horribly wrong, how can we avoid this happening again? It became a typical Islamophobic rant about how Islam is suffering an age of crisis, about how Muslims don't understand freedom of speech, how Muslims don't understand civic virtues, how Muslims don't understand civil society, a rant. What follows is even worse. The French government officially adopts and reproduces the pornographic cartoons slandering and maligning the Prophet So now, the government that I support with my tax dollars as a Muslim in France is not standing neutral but is actually reproducing the pornographic representations of the Prophet Wasallam. Not only that, but while there is a grudging acknowledgement of the history of racism and segregation and ghettoization of Muslims, grudging all the focus is on how Muslims don't understand the, ver- the values of the French Republic. Yeah, you want Muslims to understand the values of the French Republic? Why don't you explain to Muslims how that French Republic could have committed the genocides in which millions of Muslims were killed in Africa? How could it be that till today, the French Republic continues slaughtering Muslims in Mali? And how is it that till today, the French Republic with its great values continues being in bed with the most heinous and disgusting autocrats and despots like Sisi of Egypt, arming him, equipping them so that they can rule over Muslims and dominate Muslims in the name of the great values of the French Republic. Maybe if you can talk to Muslims about that, maybe if you can talk to Muslims about the fact that thousands of Muslims fought with the French army against the Nazis in World War II. Thousands of Muslims were killed and buried in the desert fighting against Nazi Germany and Muslims received absolutely no credit, no pensions, no credit, no any type of even acknowledgement for the thousands of Muslims that gave up their lives fighting against Nazi Germany in World War II. What is even worse? What is even worse is the Muslim response to this horrendous debacle. The Prophet ﷺ raised great men and women that changed the face of history because they understood that life is about meaning. That if you live and die without meaning, then you failed as a human being. But what about us? What about us in even responding to something as simple and straightforward as a crime where there is failure on so many levels, multiple failures by a number of parties and yet so many Muslims could not see beyond the apologetics defending Islam against the charge of terrorism. Oh, we condemn what this kid did. Okay, yeah, sure, we condemn what this kid did. But that's a 16-year-old, a minor. How about the responsibility of the adults in positions of power? that failed to see the danger and the failure and the tragedy, to see it and prevent it before it takes place. I say this <laughs> word and I beg your pardon, and I ask Allah to you wa subhanallah alayhi al-azim wa salatu wa salam ala muhammad wa khatam al-nabiyyin The French government and indeed French society has a long history of Islamophobia. A long history. To the extent that there was a Muslim woman who wore just covered her hair, sort of Jewish Orthodox style, not even hijab style. In other words, she didn't cover her neck and ears, she just covered her hair. And she auditioned to The Voice in France. And just because she's a Muslim and she covers her hair, she was attacked so viciously that she dropped out of the competition. There was a girl, a young woman called Maryam Burgito, who was elected by the Student Association in the Sorbonne as their president. But because Maryam Boujitou was a muhajaba she was attacked so viciously by the French media she was forced to resign Why are we pretending that French society is not thoroughly colonial and thoroughly racist thoroughly racist And the problem of Islamophobia in France is precisely what legitimated the genocides that France committed against Muslims all over Africa. To this very day, France has not even apologized or acknowledged the thousands that were killed by Napoleon's invading armies. And from Napoleon onwards the French said, we we didn't kill seven million in Algeria, we just killed two million. Wow. Not even an apology. In France, a journalist that worked in Charles Ibdo's paper, the same paper that published these obscene cartoons, That journalist drew a cartoon mocking the son of the French Prime Minister, mocking the fact that he converted from Christianity to Judaism, who was promptly fired. How dare you mock a conversion to Judaism? Was promptly fired. Even in these days, there is a Mauritanian journalist who works in a French publication. He mocked the French prime minister, drawing an image of him as a snake. He was promptly fired. You can't insult the prime minister in that way. You can't insult Jews in that way. In France, if you insult the French flag, it's a criminal offense and you go to prison. And if you insult the French flag in public or in private, but apparently you can't insult or mock the Holocaust, you can't deny the Holocaust, but you can't make fun of the Holocaust and you can promptly go to prison. You can't insult the Jewish race, it's a criminal offense. But apparently you can mock and insult Muslims as a religion and a race. There isn't a single criminal prosecution for doing so. So I'm not surprised when I find disgusting and immoral behavior like some someone who doesn't know the legacy of the Prophet pick up a knife and go to Nice and stab a couple of ladies in front of a church. The least that can be said about this behavior, it is un-Islamic in addition to immoral and unethical. But as far as I'm concerned, it is those who perpetuate racism and Islamophobia in France who are at a minimum as equally culpable as that criminal who stabbed innocent people in front of a church. Does Islam say to defend the Prophet you go stab innocent people? Have nothing to do with it. There is no question, I think it is intuitive to all Muslims. That what the 16-year-old did in killing his teacher is un-Islamic and immoral. But so is the behavior of the school and the administration and the entire French government. Now, we know that there was a strong response from Turkey. But the part that is truly, again, shocking. The response of Saudi Arabia, the so-called guardian of the two holy sites, was absolute silence for days. And then there was a weak, extremely weak condemnation attributed, not even officially released, by the Saudi foreign ministry. At the same time, the governor of Mecca meets with the French ambassador to assure the French ambassador that Saudi Arabia supports and backs up the French government. The Emirates met with the French ambassador in the Emirate to express the unequivocal support and backing up of the Emirati government of the French government. And the opposition of Saudi Arabia and the Emirat to any form of economic boycott directed at French products. Even the Azhar when they spoke on the occasion of the birth of the Prophet, you know what their condemnation was? We condemn terrorism, we condemn Islamophobia. Don't drag Islam into political conflicts that Islam have no role in. Who are you talking to? Meek, weak, spineless, without honor, without dignity. And a failure, even again, on part of even the Azhar to support an economic boycott of French products because of the official position of the French government supporting the pornographic, obscene images and representation of the Prophet. So, the French government officially. Supports pornographic obscene images of the Prophet, officially sides with Islamophobic discourses while taking vigilant stands against obscenity against the French flag, obscenity against the Jewish race obscenity against what Christians and Jews hold to be sacred and of great value while telling Muslims, yeah, you gave us thousands of life defending French independence in World War II. Yes, we've slaughtered millions of you in the colonial age, but we owe you nothing. You are nothing. Get lost. And what is the official response? Saudi Arabia opposes the economic boycott of France and supports the French government. United Arab Emirates supports the French government and the Egyptian government opposes economic boycott of France. Ironically, and perhaps I don't need to tell you this, the same government, Saudi Arabia, the Emirates and Egypt, at the same time that they've opposed the economic boycott of French products, they have appealed to Muslims all around the world to boycott Turkish products. The Emirates, Saudi Arabia and Egypt are calling for the boycott of all Turkish products. Why? Well, no one is sure why. It's true that the French are the ones that insulted the Prophet, but it's the Turks that we have to boycott. Why? It just is. Because the Turks are the enemies. Saudi Arabia, and let me say it again and again, Saudi Arabia lost all legitimacy as the guardian of the two holy sites. Islam will not be freed until Mecca and Medina are taken away from the authority of Al Saud. And Islam will never be in a good shape in the United States as long as American Muslims continue to support and embrace those on the payroll of Saudi Arabia and the Emirat. Because in the middle of all of this, you would have expected all types of Islamic organizations to stand up and say something about the obscenity and pornography. Hamza Yusuf has a great deal to say about the evils of pornography. I've heard a number of lectures where he talks about how pornography is so evil. But when it's the prophet who is represented in pornographic images because the Emirat didn't say a word, Hamza Yusuf holds on to his golden silence. May Allah bless. You wa you wa you May Allah bless and honor the Prophet Muhammad. ﷺ. We don't deserve him. We don't deserve him. He is in a group of handful of men that truly transformed the shape of this planet with their ethics, morality, and virtue. And we, when we as Muslims fail to recognize the greatness of this man and to honor his memory, we don't deserve him. It's as simple as that. Allahumma khfir Allahumma afu'anna. Allahumma rahamna. Wahdina alay akraba min haza rashad ya alihi adzim. Allah forgive our sins. Guide us towards the state path. Give us, grant us knowledge, wisdom, and light. And make us better bearers of your message and the moral example and virtue of Muhammad alayhi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Wa alayhi
0: بسم الله الرحمن ان الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا ايها الذين امنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما الله اكبر الله اكبر اشهد ان اشهد ان محمد رسول الله هيا صلاه حي, الصلاة حي الفلاح قد قامت قد